on the show, I am so, so excited to welcome our guest, Rachel Kelly. Rachel Kelly is a clinically trained therapist and somatic healer who specializes in healing anxious attachment and the nervous system, allowing you to feel safe to create a life beyond your wildest dreams. Rachel is also a client of ours here at Her and just such a wonderful person. I'm so, so excited to have you here, Rachel. So thank you so much for being on the pod. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, there are so many different things that we can chat through today, but what I would first love for you to share for folks to gain a better understanding of who you are as an individual is a little bit about your story and your background and what brought you to where you are currently at in your current season of life and business right now. Yeah, absolutely. So long story short, I'm from New York. I moved to San Diego, California in August 2019, so almost four years now. And I come from the clinical social work background. So I went to college at Clark University, got my undergrad in communications, and then had the choice of doing a free fifth-year program to get my master's in communications or head back to New York from Massachusetts to get my master's in clinical social work. So my parents were both therapists. My brother's a school psychologist. It kind of runs in the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just knew that I needed to go in that route. So um, got my master's in 2016 and then was in the field after that up until almost two years ago. So had a good stretch in the field at various different therapy jobs, working at a drug and alcohol facility, working at an elementary school, working with senior citizens, kind of working with all ages. <laughs> and it was kind of just that typical story you hear about the burnt out social worker, like overworked, underpaid, just feeling really burnt out. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about what I want in terms of work and then what I don't want. But it constantly felt like I was just kind of jumping from one job to the next, just trying to find a place to land. And I just noticed the same systematic issues over and over and over again, no matter what job I was going to. So my plan to kind of escape the field was to do private practice once I got my license. But even the idea of doing private practice, it just didn't, it felt like a backup option. Like it wasn't lighting my soul up. And I was like, there's got to be something else. And at this point, I did not know that the online coaching space even existed. Like I had Instagram, I used it just like, you know, personally, but I really didn't know that that was even an option. So I started um, kind of looking into it when I started hearing more about it. And I was like, what is this coaching thing? Like, (laughs) what is this? How is it different than therapy? Um, Is this something that I would even want to do? And I just started learning more about it, connecting with more people. And I ended up quitting both of my therapy jobs and starting this business program And just like fully leaping into this world that I had no idea like what it was going to bring, where it was going to take me. It was just kind of a blind leap of faith. And I was like, something feels right about this. And I just got to get out of my jobs and just figure it out like one day at a time. So um, after that, I ended up just learning more, got my first client. And then I hired my um, current mentor who I've been working with for almost two years now And I started doing this deep healing work on myself. And it was really after I had gone through this breakup. And that was kind of the catalyst for me realizing like, wow, I have some attachment 
wounds to work on. Um, and so through doing this work on myself, it completely shifted the way in which I was working with clients. So I was kind of stuck in between this like therapy modality and then coaching structure and trying to find my place and like how to merge the two in a way that felt aligned and authentic. So, um, yeah, I ended up using this healing modality that I learned to really focus on healing my own anxious attachment and now helping others heal their anxious attachment. And almost two years later, here we are. (laughs) That is such a beautiful story. I never realized that you like took such a big leap of faith and just quit your jobs and said, this is what I'm going to pursue. That is amazingly courageous. What really inspired you to do so? Was it just that gut instinct, that gut feeling that this was the path for you? Yeah, it was pretty wild. I felt like the universe was supporting me and leaving because it kind of happened very naturally with both jobs. So at the time I was working one job remote uh, in New York, I was running these DBT skills groups for this practice in New York. And then I was working at a DBT. For those who don't know DBT, it's dialectical behavioral therapy. I was working at a DBT clinic in San Diego. So I was working these two jobs and I was learning a lot and I was like, oh, maybe DBT is it. Like I, I finally felt like I was just maybe a little bit more in the right place in terms of how the therapeutic modality landed for me and how I saw it working for people. But something about it still felt like, oh, we're not, this is not quite right yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um Basically, my boss sent me an email one day and she had scheduled a meeting for us. So in my head, of course, anytime this happens, you're either like, I'm getting a raise, I'm getting fired, or who knows? Who knows what's going to (laughs) happen? So she sat me down and she was like, I don't think you want to be here anymore. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a few options. And she basically said, you know, I can switch over to working with a different population because they served both DBT clients who are more like high risk, um, self-harming, all of that. And then also just kind of more traditional therapy clients. So she was like, you can switch over to just working with non-DBT or you can recommit to DBT because DBT is a very like intensive therapy. So you have to be like fully in it. Or you can put in your notice and leave. And she basically gave me those three options, told me to think about it and let her know. And this was like already a pretty rough, like boss situation. It was like lots of turnover, lots of people leaving just because um, a lot of people were not happy with how the place was run and management, all of that. And so I took some time to sit with it and I knew, I knew in my gut, I was like, she's giving me an out. I have to take it. Like, I'm so unhappy in this place. Like I have to leave, but I had no other job lined up. I had no idea what I was going to do. My other part-time job was very like part-time. So it wasn't enough to sustain myself. And I talked to my family at the time and, you know, of course they're like, wanting me to be smart about it, <laughs> like, <laughs> make sure I can pay my rent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had talked to my stepmom and she's someone who has always been, she's really the, because my parents were both social workers, like they didn't make a lot of money. So she was always the one that like, if there was like financial help that I needed, she would always do what she could. Like she couldn't always do a lot, but she, she did what she could. And so she said, she was like, if you want to focus on this business program, like 
I can basically give you this loan to hold you over until a certain amount of months. And within those certain amount of months, you need to get a client. <laughs> like you need to start your yes. business. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like I got X amount of months. Like the business coaching person said by the end of month two, we would expect to get our first client. So I was like, okay, like, let's see if we can do this. And then with the other job, I was responsible for forming these groups with these teenagers. And I had just formed a group that was about to start. And I forget exactly what happened, but it was something along the lines of like, all the group members just happened to like fall out of the group before it even started. And I was like, oh my God, universe again. Like it was just this natural out where I was like, okay, now I don't have to do this group. I have nothing kind of holding me here. Um, the owner did try and like keep me there longer and like use my contract, all that. And I was like, all right, let's, let's figure out a way to, <laughs> to negotiate this. <laughs> yeah. So I had to get a little crafty, you know? Um, but yeah, I was able to leave that job and, you know, just really focus on having enough to like pay my bills, get through the program. And sure enough, by the end of month two, I got my first client and I was like, all right, we did it. And I picked up from there. So it was a combination of, you know, following my intuition, the universe screaming at me, like, go, this is your opportunity, go. And then fortunately having, you know, some family support and just helping me in the in-between. That's amazing. And so something I want to shift into too, because I know this is such a large bulk of your work is attachment wound. And you mentioned that that is a lot of the work that you were doing as you were making this shift right into the coaching world and realizing like some of the inner work that you needed to do through the mentorship that you gained through your mentor in order to better support the folks that you were working with. So for folks that don't know what attachment wounds are, what attachment theory is, would you be able to break that down a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, if you think about all of us as children, our attachment style forms even before we're born, like it starts forming in utero. And this is, you know, when you hear about generational trauma, generational wounding, like this is what we're talking about of like mom having her own attachment style in childhood. And then, um, having that affect the way in which your parents are raising you as a child. So there are four main types of attachment styles. So this is how the baby and the caregiver form their attachment with one another. So the ideal attachment style that we're all looking to form with our parents when we're babies is secure attachment. So this means that you know, mom and dad can maybe leave your crib for a moment and you trust that they're coming back. So maybe the baby starts crying when mom leaves the the room, you know, when it's time to go to bed at night and you know that mom is going to be there to, or dad is going to be there to come and, you know, support you and give you that attunement. So attunement just means that the caregiver is in tune with the child's emotions. And it's super simple, but it's something that all of us as children didn't get all of the time. We definitely got it some of the time, some of us more than others. But in this modern world where parents are working, they're, you know, trying to take care of their own mental health, they're, you know, doing all these things. It's nearly impossible for a parent to be able to be in tune with the child's emotions 100% of the time. That's just not realistic. 
And so it's not any fault of the parents. It's more just understanding how in this modern world, like children are being raised and how that affects them. So the other more insecure types of attachment are anxious, which is what I've worked on healing, which is essentially that you're getting your emotional needs met, that attunement inconsistently. So, um, you know, for me during childhood, there was a lot happening. I was sick as a baby. Then my parents were getting divorced. My mom was figuring out her sexual identity. Like there was so much change. And so within that change, and also from being so sick, so young, there was this fear that was developed of like abandonment, right? Like, will I get my needs met? Will mom and dad be here, you know, when I'm alone in this hospital room and then coming out or, you know, when parents are getting divorced. And so they're starting to spend some nights apart. And so is mom going to come back the next morning? Right. Mm -hmm. So with all of that change happening, there was so much inconsistency. And again, my parents were literally just doing the best they could. They were, you know, had a lot of their own traumas that they were going through. And so this developed that anxious attachment, which essentially is just a really deep fear of abandonment. So this can show up in relationships where you're feeling the need to kind of grasp on. You don't fully feel safe being alone. Um, there's a big element of control where your body feels like it needs to like control everything to feel safe, especially if things felt out of control during childhood. And then the other two attachment styles. So there's um, fearful avoidant, and then there's dismissive avoidant. So another word for um, fearful avoidant is disorganized. So it's kind of like you have a combination of anxious attachment and avoidant, which can feel a little tricky because you're like, I really want this close, you know, attachment with my parents. And then later on as an adult with, with other people, but I'm also equally terrified of not getting my needs met. I'm equally terrified of feeling such close intimacy. Um, and this can be with parents that maybe you felt anxiously attached to because you didn't know if you were going to get your needs met, but there was also some element of fear as a kid. So maybe parents had a temper, maybe they um, you know, were fighting a lot and it just felt really scary. So whatever it, whatever it might be, and then dismissive avoidant is that classic, like, I'm uncomfortable with feelings <laughs> because mm -hmm. during childhood, feelings were not even a thing. Like, feelings were not talked about. Feelings were not, you know, normalized. Um, and so growing up as an adult, then when you're kind of met with that intimacy, it feels really scary to even get in touch with your own emotions in a really deep way, let alone with someone else. So based on your own particular, you know, parent situation growing up, your environment, the ways in which you were held attuned to the ways in which your needs were met, how often and consistent they were met, all of these factors shape our attachment style. And the thing that most people forget is that we all have a combination of most of them, if not all of them. So mm -hmm. it's not like I'm anxiously attached and I'm none of the other ones or like you're avoidant and none of the other ones. It's like we all have kind of different mixes of all of them. So hopefully that, yeah, that makes sense. I know I just rambled a bit. <laughs> no, no, that totally makes sense. And so when you say 
kid, right? Because you referenced like being a kid and this is when a lot of this develops. What ages are you specifically talking about where we really start to develop um, this attachment style or like a lot of that is informed by what age bracket? Yeah. So like I said, even before you're born, so when you're in utero and then I'm not sure the exact age of cutoff because really it's like for as long as you're dependent on a caregiver, right? So like, um, you know, our brains don't fully develop until age 26. Technically in society, we're adults at 18. But I think, you know, even though that would still affect it in those years, I think more importantly are those early years. So like even up until like 10, 12, 13, you know, when you're still actively needing those, that attunement from your parents. Um, but I would say like, even after that too, if you're still living with your parents and, um, but it, it really is kind of the older you get, the more safe you feel to be dependent on yourself. And so just like earlier on when you're so, so dependent for survival, um, that's, those are the years that really it affects the most. That totally makes sense. And so I'm curious, you kind of, you talked about some of the ways that these attachment styles may present now that we are adults. And so Mm -hmm. as people are listening, they might start to realize, oh, like that is a tendency that I have, but not everyone is able to be self-reflective in that way. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. that saying that it's always easier to see things from like a third-party perspective, right? When you're so in it, it's so hard sometimes to realize your own tendencies. So as people are listening, what are some ways that the people that you work with who are really dedicated to wanting to uncover what their attachment style is and how that's actually impacting their day-to-day life, what are some ways that people are doing that and what kind of support are they seeking out to have um, that extra perspective to show them where it might be actually impacting their day-to-day? Yeah. So the two main areas that people start to see this in first is their primary relationship. So this Mm. can be your romantic relationship. There is nothing like a romantic relationship that will bring out all of your childhood triggers. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. Essentially, it's like if you think about our primary attachment during childhood was our parents or our caregivers, and then all of that transfers over to if we're unconscious to it, to a romantic partner, because essentially that's going to be the person that you're having the most intimate relationship with, the person that sees all the sides of you that maybe, you know, other people in your life don't see. Um, Or even if you have just like a really close friendship or another family member. Um, So anyone in your life who's that primary attachment, that's where it's going to show up the most. And then um, also, especially, I'm imagining a lot of people listening to this are fellow entrepreneurs, the ways in which it shows up in your business. So a lot of things to look out for is how safe you feel to be seen in your business. How safe do you feel to lean into faith or how often are you trying to control everything, grasp onto everything, attach to everything? Um you know, thinking certain outcomes should look like a certain way or even trying to predict like where your next client will come from or, you know, how long they're going to stay with you for like all of these ways that we attach on to either the past or the present or the future rather than feeling safe to be in the present, safe to be with the unknown of the future. 
Um, so yeah, those would probably be the biggest two areas that your attachment wounding will show up in, but essentially it affects everything. Like it affects your relationship to money. It affects your relationship to just yourself and how you're relating to yourself. Like how safe do you feel to just be with yourself without constant distractions? Like I used to pride myself off of like, you know, when I was single and I wasn't in a relationship, like, oh my God, I'm the most independent girl in the world. Like (laughs) I can go, you know, eat alone. I can go to the movies alone. I can do all these things alone. But when I looked at how was I actually connecting to myself, oftentimes I was unconsciously numbing. So I was a really big TV binger. I was constantly working. So I was definitely an overworker. I was constantly staying busy. So like making plans every weekend, needing to see friends all the time. Like I didn't feel safe to just like be with myself. And that's so often something that is kind of just like, minimized in society because of the culture we live in. That's just like, go, go, go. And it's not wise to be like, let's sit with ourselves and feel our feelings, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So like for someone to feel safe, just being with themselves, what does that look and feel like? Right? Like I think a lot Mm -hmm. of us can identify the places and times in our lives in which we did numb, like, or are currently (laughs) numbing, like you said. And in ways that are deemed acceptable by our society, right? Because what we consider as a society unacceptable, and for those who aren't watching, I'm using massive air quotes there, right? Is like, if you're drinking a lot or if you're using a lot of drugs, right? That's like, you shouldn't do that, society says, right? To numb your feelings. That's like the key indicators that you might have like an unhealthy coping mechanism if you're drinking too much or overusing drugs. But there are so many ways where this is so nuanced, right? Um, Like you said, you were binging TV. We see all the time people who will binge a Netflix series in a weekend. No problem at all. I've mm-hmm. experienced like times in my life where I'm eating way too many sweets. Mm-hmm. Again, not like I'm eating like boxes of sweets, but like I know what makes me feel good in my body and what is a coping mechanism. So right. it's so nuanced. Um, So when you say feeling safe in your body, what does that actually look like? And what emotions come to the surface for people who are actually in that kind of space or in that headspace? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it really looks like when you're noticing this urge to engage in an addictive behavior, which again, can, like you said, can be so nuanced, it can be TV, it can be even the healthiest of things, right? So like, people who live at the gym and they have to just like constantly be moving at all times. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yoga can like literally anything can be an addiction because it's the energy in which you're relating to it. So yep. for me feeling safe to just be is when you're noticing that urge to engage in whatever the behavior is like are you able to just slow down, take a few deep breaths and kind of check in with yourself, like check in with you know, why am I rushing right now when nothing's an emergency? Like how many times do we do that? Of like, I need to respond to this email or like, I need to call this person back. And it's like, can we allow our nervous systems to kind of slow down and come back to the present? There's no emergency in the present. Can we just take a deep breath and actually listen to what our bodies are needing? So for me, that even looks like if I am really needing rest, but I know I have a, t- a whole to-do list of work, am I able to prioritize taking a quick nap or just laying on the couch, listening to a sound bath and just like 
putting my hands on my body and breathing for a few minutes, like just taking moments throughout the day to slow down and to show our nervous system, like there is no bear chasing us. There's no emergency. That email can wait. That phone call can wait. Um, Because oftentimes with anxiety, it's, you know, discerning between what's an actual threat and what's a false threat. And our bodies often don't know the difference, um, especially with the way in which we are just relating to ourselves and to each other in this world that is so normalized. So it could also look like, um, you know, again, like honoring what it is you're needing. So if you're needing rest, if you're needing alone time, maybe you're someone that needs to have every single day planned out, like on the, that used to be me on the weekends of like, I need my weekends to be filled. Um, and so for example, this past weekend, I didn't have any plans and I, and I knew that, you know, mother's day was, could be a little bit of a triggering day for me because I lost my mom. So the old me would have just been like, okay, I need to have plans that day. I need to stay busy. I need to like have a distraction. And instead it's like, can I just allow space in my day to have no plans and to allow myself to just literally take it moment by moment? Like, okay, how am I feeling right now? What do I feel like doing? Um, And really taking time and space to come home to yourself. So for me, that looks like spending quality time with myself where I'm not numbing or distracting, but I'm connecting back to me and how I'm feeling and, you know, my purpose, what I like to do. Um, and so for example, this weekend that was taking some time to just like read a really good book and journal. And I do meditation and chanting every day. So taking time to do those, um, I took a nice long nap. I sat with some grief that came up with my mom. So when I say like sitting with feelings, it means when you can feel in your body that there's that emotion that wants to come up and your immediate response is like, okay, let me go back to work. Let me like run to my friends. Let me go to the gym. Like just going and kind of ignoring it. Like, can you get still with yourself? Even if it's for two minutes, three minutes and allowing space to just feel however it is you're feeling. And this applies not only to painful emotions, but it also applies to celebration and joy. Sometimes I was just talking about this with a client, like sometimes we receive, you know, beautiful news, like, you know, whatever dream is coming true and like some exciting thing is happening and we don't take time to really land in it and just like take a moment and be like, wow, like this is amazing. Right. And just like noticing how that feels and just honoring it and celebrating it rather than being like, okay, got to go to the next to do. So it's really just taking those small moments throughout the day that add up to check in with yourself, to notice how you're feeling, to feel the pain that needs to be felt, and to celebrate and experience the joy in the present moment without always rushing to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. I love how you brought up that it's not just sitting with the pain, but it's also sitting with those celebratory feelings because... I think that a lot of the time when we're talking about numbing or like that sense of urgency that you mentioned, it's oftentimes like pushing past the painful experiences. And there's not a lot of emphasis on how many of us, especially I see this a lot with the women that we work with, push past the celebratory things happening in their life because they don't want to take up space, right? Mm -hmm. Or they weren't taught how to like show their joy or want to like dim their light in whatever way. And so I'm really curious when it comes to 
attachment style desire in entrepreneurship and like goal setting, things like that. For folks that would identify with having a anxious attachment style, and you say that you've like worked to heal through this too, so maybe you could speak to this personally. Do folks with an anxious attachment style have a harder time developing or recognizing and identifying their own desires separate from their primary partner? Yeah. So I think it just depends on the person. Like for me, I've always been someone who's felt really clear on like my own desires. I think where my anxious attachment came up was how my desires would completely change my attachment relationships and like the word. So it's like, you can, I think, again, this is why it shows up differently because maybe someone who's in, you know, a relationship and their partner is expressing a desire and, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I want to do that too. And it's kind (laughs) of just that, um, that idea that Gabor Mate talks a lot about in terms of attachment versus authenticity, which is, you know, how often are you saying yes to things that don't actually feel aligned or authentic to you because your attachments are doing them and you want to be with them or spend time with them versus how safe do you feel to, say, you know, no, like you go ahead, you go do this. I'm going to stay at home and do my thing and like feel safe to kind of both honor what you want. Um, but for me, I always knew, like, I knew that I always said my whole life, like if I were to live anywhere besides New York, it would be California. But I always said, oh, but I would never go to California because my, my whole family's in New York. So even something like that, when I finally felt like safe enough to make that leap of moving to California, my anxious attachment got so deeply triggered where the first like six months here, it felt like I was dying. Like it felt like I was being like torn apart from like the, the nest, you know, like the the comfort zone, like my whole sense of safety. And especially because not only my family, but I was also dating someone in New York that I was like deeply in love with. And, um, when we met, he knew that I was planning on moving to California. So it was this combination of leaving him, leaving my family. Like my anxious attachment was wild. Like out of <laughs> I was even considering moving back. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like my mom had just died. Like there were so many things that just kind of triggered that wound. And so for me, it's really like, even if you are crystal clear on what you want, like I wanted to move to California, you know, I wanted to start this business. Like I want to, um, you know, I just said no to a family vacation to stay home for the summer. Like those are things that the old version of me, like I wouldn't have actually felt safe to do. And mm-hmm. I would have felt like, you know, I was dying and sometimes it still feels like that. But because I now have the awareness and I've done this work on myself, I can say like, okay, this is just my inner child, like feeling terrified that she's being left, that she's being abandoned, but I can come back to the safety in the present moment and show myself like I am safe. I'm safe to choose myself. So again, it can look like not feeling clear on what your authentic desires are because your safety has been enmeshed with other people for so long, or it can be you know what your desires are and you may not feel safe to actually act on them or feel like feel safe while acting on them because it feels like this goes against 
you know, your whole way of knowing safety. And that can feel utterly terrifying. That I've never thought about it in that way, but that totally makes sense. And I, it normalizes too, right? That a lot of us have felt in one of these two camps at some point in our lives, I would imagine, right? And so it normalizes that this is something that is a cause of how we grew up and something that we can work through to find more joy on the other side. And something I want to tie in because you mentioned it briefly earlier is how this actually connects with entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking a little bit ago, um, you mentioned like the state of urgency, right? Of like, mm-hmm. I have to respond to this email right away, or I have to get to this phone call right away. As you were talking about ways that we can ground ourselves in and counteract that first thought or that first instinct. And right. so I would love for you to share a little bit about first, how the attachment style specifically show up in leadership and entrepreneurship. So as we're mm-hmm. running our businesses, what that looks like, yeah. and then- how we can actually start to work through some of these things that are showing up for us so we can show up better for our community and our clients. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is a big one. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Let's see. It literally, okay. So if you're an entrepreneur, that means that just like being in a romantic relationship, it's almost like you and your business are so intimate that all of your trauma responses will show up. These can show up in the sneakiest of ways and also the most obvious ways. So what are trauma responses? They could be anything from perfectionism, judgment, people-pleasing, over-giving, over-caretaking, not feeling safe to say no, not feeling safe to raise your prices, uh, giving away too much stuff for free and then feeling resentful. So not feeling safe to, you know, honor what you actually need. Um, it can be a lot of noticing when you're seeking external saving. So I used to do this shit all the time (laughs) and my mentor would have to call me out when things would start to feel really hard and scary in business of like, this is a lot, you know, what's happening. Like, it's just a whole new ball game. And I, you know, we go on Instagram, there's being, there's like all these different coaches launching their offers and selling their services. And I, I went through this period where all the, I was following all these different business coaches and every time they were like launching something, they were like, this is the thing that's going to help you, you know, quantum leap or like, this is the thing, da, da, da. And I would get sucked in. Like I would get sucked into that like dopamine hit of like, oh my God, like they have the thing. I just need to go sign up with them and they're going to just like solve all my problems. Yeah. So I noticed that like for me, I really had to be so intentional about what I was consuming and absorbing. Um, And I went through a period where I literally had to mute the stories and the posts of all these different business coaches because it took me away from myself. Right. And it's different if you are feeling really grounded and secure in yourself and you're absorbing this information and you're being able to kind of take what's helpful, leave what's not, or, you know, really get connected to like what feels like an aligned investment in your business of like, yeah, I'd like to work with this coach or this seems like this could be helpful um, rather than, oh my God, I'm going to do this and they're going to save me. And then this, it's like, that feeling of like, this feels so hard and I just want someone to save me. I want someone to fix it for me. And that is all your inner child. So your inner child just feels scared. 
They just want someone to swoop in and save them and be like, I got you. And with entrepreneurship, with each kind of stage of your business, with each layer of growth will come that new layer of challenges where your fear might get, you know, to a whole new level where you're like, this feels really, really scary, or your perfectionism might start to really come out. I mean, before doing this work, I always laugh with my mentor because we were like, you know, to think that I didn't think I had perfectionism. I literally, I was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't struggle with that. Like, you know, I was always the kid at school that I was fine getting a B. Like I didn't need the straight A's. Like, so I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a perfectionist. And then starting this business and looking at the ways in which my perfectionism would show up, even in doing this healing work of like, Mm -hmm. oh, like I didn't notice that I was feeling shame there. And I like bypassed that or I, projected onto this person, like I would start to get really, um, perfectionistic around my own healing. And that's Mm -hmm. how sneaky it can be. Right. Because like, we're not always aware of these things. So I think in entrepreneurship, it's understanding that like, you are just, it's just you and you. And like, yes, you may have support. You may have guidance. You may have an amazing mentor like I do and no one can save you but you. No one can grow this business, but you. No one can make your dreams come true except for you. And when we start to really let that sink in, we're like, holy shit, it's up to us, which is both exciting and again, can feel really scary and overwhelming of like, oh my God, if I want to do this thing, like I have to do it. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's just noticing like where those protectors are coming up. Like for me, with clients, it was a lot of like not feeling safe to leave boxers unread and like feeling like, oh, like, are they going to be okay if I don't respond right away? Um, Also control, like thinking about how if I were to launch something and my brain would immediately attach on to like, oh, this is how I'm going to, you know, get enough money for my trip next month. Or like, you know, this is the thing that people are going to sign up for, like constantly trying to, to figure it out right? Like figure out how things are going to go. And that's oftentimes that need to know protector of like, as children, it didn't feel safe. You know, a lot of the times to not know things, not know what was going on in your family, not know what was going to happen. You know, if your family was moving or switching schools or whatever it may be. And so as adults, we have a really hard time being with the unknown and the unknown can feel really scary but it also can be such a source of magic where you know the universe will give you something even better than you could have imagined and that control that need to know those protectors just kind of squash the joy out of it squashes the the magic out of the unknown so i would say if you're listening to this and you struggle with any of that, right. And looking at how, you know, even just the way in which you're relating to your clients, um, you know, are you feeling like possessive over them? Cause with anxious attachment, again, it's like fear of abandonment and that can show up with your clients. Like, are your clients going to leave you? And you feel that fear, um, feeling secure enough in your own services to, and your own self, really, it's like believing in your own self to know that even with change happening or even with clients coming and going or whatever that might look like, that you are still safe, that you are still connected to your own unique medicine and magic and wisdom. Oh, I love that. I 
always tell people that entrepreneurship is the biggest mirror and the biggest reflection tool because it brings so much of this stuff to the surface. Mm-hmm. I've experienced a lot of uh, my attachment style and different things come up in my intimate relationships, but nothing quite hit the nail on the head as like being the leader of my business and realizing yeah. all of these patterns that I didn't even know that I had or maybe weren't coming to the surface in a lot of my different personal and intimate relationships were so fiercely front and center when I was running my business. And it took me a while to even realize the thought patterns that were deeply ingrained um, to make me act the way that I was. Like for me, it was a lot of perfectionism and also people pleasing. I was in the beginning not discerning at all about who I was working with or like how people were treating me or my team. Once I brought on a team, I started to be more protective, right? I was caring for other people more than myself, but like not being discerning about that, not having boundaries, replying to things super quickly, creating this false sense of urgency between me and my clients or me and my team, right? Mm -hmm. Which all stemmed from like this anxious attachment type of stuff that was coming up. And it took a while to realize like, this isn't serving myself, my team, or our clients. And that brings me into my next question is like, when we are showing up in our businesses in this way, I'll give the example of the urgency, right? Of like Mm -hmm. responding to Slack messages right away, answering calls right away, answering emails right away. I have found that it breeds that feeling in our clients as well, that they feel as though they then have to act that same way because that's the expectation that we have. So can you speak to that a little bit of like how we are showing up in those partnerships and in those relationships affects the people around us specifically when it comes to business? Yeah. Oh, that is such, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such an important point. Like we are, if you're a leader in your business, right. And you are the one that is role modeling for your clients, for, you know, your team members, that is a huge part of becoming an embodied leader is, are you able to be with your own discomfort that comes up in order to relate differently than your anxious attachment is telling you to, so that you can provide that sense of security and safety for your clients as well. So if I'm constantly, you know, responding to things right away, that is setting the expectation that that's what they should expect. So then if I'm all of a sudden taking, you know, hours to respond and they're like, huh, like Rachel usually responds really quickly. Like what's going on? you know, that's going to create this sense of inconsistency, which can be like re-traumatizing from childhood. Right. So, um, it's having the, the capability and the awareness to like, really look at how would I be relating to this situation, to this client, to this team member, whatever it is that's coming up through secure attachment, or how would I relate to it if control wasn't present right now? So it's really tricky and it requires like a lot of intentional practice because again, these things are so sneaky. So maybe you're not even aware that control is coming up. And what I always tell people is like, your energy will say everything, right? So if you're showing up on social media, if you're showing up to your clients in session and like, this is how I used to show up in the therapy world because I was burnt out. So I would show up and like, we were required to like, do the notes and the treatment plans in session with the clients. I'm like typing and trying to talk to them and like trying to eat my lunch. Like, oh my God, it was just (laughs) pure chaos. Like literally the therapist would have to eat lunch with their clients because we didn't have time. And I'm like, 
this is craziness. And I was always that rebel that like would actually take my full hour lunch break. Cause I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think understanding that like, even if you can't fully pinpoint like, oh, my people pleasing is coming up or my control, like, yes, starting to gain awareness of that. But again, like it comes back to energetically, like what's happening for you. So if you're writing an email and you feel your chest tightening and you're like, ah, you know, can you yeah. just take a moment to breathe and just be like, I'm, I'm okay right now. Like nothing is an emergency. I am safe. And how would I relate to this? How would I communicate this if I was relating through that secure attachment? If I actually felt safe in my body to just be in the present and relate to the present for what it is rather than what my protectors are telling me that it is. So, um, yeah, I think also understanding that with your clients, if you're being that role model for them, um, you know, being mindful of like, so for me, if I respond right away to something, maybe the next message, I'll take a little time because again, I'm being cognizant of what patterns I'm reinforcing. Um, and also the biggest thing, if you take away anything from this podcast is remembering what's actually in the highest service of the client. So yeah. your anxious attachment might trick your brain into convincing you that, you know, by responding right away or by catering to their every feeling and need in every moment, that that's you doing a, a good job of, of holding them and, you know, being a, um, you know, a provider to them, whatever it is, but that's not actually helping them. Like there's this quote around the deepest form of compassion is allowing people to go through the suffering that their soul is meant to go through. And I think as an anxiously attached person, that's literally the hardest thing to do <laughs> is to watch someone suffer and know that like, you can't fix it. And that, you trying to fix it is actually depriving this person of going through what they're meant to go through the lessons, the learning, the healing, the growth that's meant to come from that experience. And yeah, understanding that like, if you're, you know, at least my role with my clients is my job is to empower them to become the leaders in their own lives. It's not to become dependent on me. Right. And I think with anxious attachment, this is kind of the ugly side of it is that there are a lot of coaches or mentors or therapists or whatever role you play that, you know, there's so much fear around, is this person going to want to stay with me that there's this subconscious sneaky way that they, they almost want the client to become dependent on them. Absolutely. And there's a huge, huge difference between the work that I do with my clients in terms of like, providing the sense of co-regulation of, of being held, of being supported and guiding them back to them, right? That's my role is like, I'm going to co-regulate with you. I'm going to be there with you and hold you, but I'm going to guide you back home to you rather than someone who's like, you need me. So don't you dare think about, you know, breaking our contract, right? Like that's a completely different energy and if you're not aware of what energy you're bringing into that relationship, it can be really icky sometimes. And you have yeah. to be super mindful of that because again, half of the time, if not more, it's like very unconscious. 
Yeah. And I think one way to bring that to the surface a little bit is those times around like contract renewal periods, right? Is like, mm-hmm. what is coming to the surface for you during that time? Are yeah. you hoping that your client is um, empowered enough to choose the decision that feels best for them in this season of their life? Or are you simply champ- like the champion of them signing back up because you need the money, you need the relationship with them, like you need the consistency? Yeah. I think a lot of us who have owned a business have probably been in a space where consciously or unconsciously, we have felt ourselves really wanting to continue a relationship with someone, even if it wasn't good for us, or even if it wasn't good for the client. Um, And so I think during those times in which the relationships have a chance to end or continue and seeing the energy that's present is a really good time to kind of dictate what your, what, Uh, type of attachment you're having with that person at that time. Like for Mm -hmm. us, we have gotten a lot of feedback specifically for VA clients where we have set them up over six months to the point in which now they don't need us Mm -hmm. (laughs) anymore because they feel so organized. They feel so good in their business. We got all of the muck out of their business and they feel excited and empowered again in their business. And one way to look at that as a business owner from a profit perspective is like, not great. But from like a human perspective, we're yeah. so excited that this person is at a better place because of our help. And now they can do their own thing without needing us to lean back on um, because it shows that we've taught them what they needed to be taught and we've set up their business in the way that it needs to. Yeah. And um, something else I wanted to bring up too is this dialogue of leading with action, also leading with word. Um, mm-hmm. because we talked a lot about, and you shared a lot about different examples of how we can show through action the expectations that we want for our clients to, um, like participate in and show mm-hmm. how we lead through our actions. But I've also recognized recently through other amazing people in our community how important it is like writing it down in word too. So for example, one of our amazing clients, Nisha, who also was on the podcast earlier, I don't know if you know Nisha, but um, she has a line in her email signature. I won't get it verbatim, but basically saying like, tend to yourself first. I do not expect an urgent response from you. And I remember my first time emailing with her It gave me the biggest sigh. And even you just had like the biggest smile because it's breaking that norm. Um, So I wanted to just mention that too, as a note of like, it is also important to say what you're expecting in addition to showing it. Um, I know we're getting close to our end time here now. And one of the last questions I had for you was surrounding motherhood and attachment styles. Um, We have a lot of moms (laughs) in our community and I know they are curious about how they can set their child up for success and set themselves up for success as their child grows and isn't as dependent upon them anymore. So can you talk a little bit about that uh, dynamic for us? Yeah. I love that question so much. Um, My sister recently became a mom about a year ago and she and I talk about this a lot of like, (laughs) just, you know, different ways. She's like, am I doing this right? And I think (laughs) such a common thing that moms go through is like, am I doing this right? Right. Because especially as a new mom, you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, The best advice. I mean, I'm not a mom personally, but just from attachment perspective and theory, like the best, best advice that I could give any mom is understanding that the more that you are taking care of, the more that you are tending to you, the better off 
your baby, your child will be. And why is this? Because babies are constantly absorbing the nervous systems of their parents around them, especially their mom, right? So if mom is constantly like freaking out of like, oh my God, am I doing this right? Like sometimes I have to, you know, just like remind moms, like there is no right or wrong way. I mean, yes, there are certain things that are more helpful than not, but (laughs) if you're constantly in the state of perfectionism, of worry, of trying to get it right, rather than noticing like, okay, I'm having some fear come up because being a new mom is scary and it's hard and that's totally normal. Can I take some time, you know, even if it's just for a few moments while I'm holding baby to sleep, like, can I just take a deep breath? Can I, you know, again, it's always bringing your body back to safety because safety is one of the most foundational things that we forget about as humans, because as long as we feel like we have a roof over our head and food to eat, we're safe. But our nervous system is so wired in survival mode that if you're a mom and you're relating to yourself and to baby through this survival mode subconsciously, baby is picking up on that. And so baby then is going to feel more of that fear. But if you're tending to that fear, meaning you're actually noticing when it comes up, holding space for it, allowing yourself to feel it because it is so normal to feel rather than kind of just like storing it away and repressing it, you're going to be able to then come back and relate to yourself, to others and to your baby from just a more grounded, calm, safe nervous system place. And baby is going to feel that, right? Like the baby is always feeling whatever state you're in. And I don't say that to then put pressure to be like, I always have to be in a perfect state. It's not about that. It's just noticing like, when am I feeling really scared? When am I feeling really, you know, rushed or whatever might be coming up for you? And the more that you contend to your own body, to your own nervous system, to taking care of yourself, which I know as a new mom is like one of the hardest things in the world, right? Is like, how am I supposed to take care of this child and myself? And so it's meeting yourself where you're at. It's not, there's no perfect. I don't even believe in perfect. I just believe in doing the best you can with what you have. So mm-hmm. if there's a choice between, you know, spending the extra $5 to get the really healthy salad for lunch versus like just throwing some crackers in your mouth and like barely (laughs) eating throughout the day. Like choose the option that's going to nourish you. Choose the option that's going to help set you up and your nervous system up for being that calm, grounded, safe nervous system so that you can better attune to your child because kids are absorbing everything. And so if you're not dealing with your own emotions and you're just using motherhood as almost like a very valid excuse of like, well, I can't because I have to tend to my child's like knowing that by you putting yourself first, you tending to you as best as you can, whatever that may look like, that that is what's in best service for your child. I mean, the same thing we talked about with entrepreneurship, like you're tending to you, you're going to be that much more capable to serve your clients. Yep. Same thing. And I love how you really highlight the need for the internal, right? Because I think especially for moms, there's so much pressure on the external now, especially with social media, right? Like I have to make my child's first birthday look exactly like this. I have to make sure they're like doing all the fun activities. I have to take them here and there. There's so much pressure on the do, do, do. Again, that urgency, that sense of like needing to conform to what you're seeing other 
quote unquote, amazing moms doing, thinking that those things are the things that are really helping your child, making you an amazing mom. And while the effort is like, we all love a mom who's really trying their best for their kid as all moms are for Mm -hmm. them, you know, the best thing you can do from what it sounds like is that internal work. It's like, not all the things that you need to do. It's being with yourself, (laughs) you know, the, the things that usually take the least amount of time, energy, and money, as opposed to like running to 5,000 different spots all over town with your child, (laughs) that really has the biggest impact. Uh, So I think that's empowering to remind moms of that, that it's not about keeping up with the times of like what you have to do in order to have this Instagrammable moment with your child. It's the internal work that's Mm -hmm. most important. And I also Mm -hmm. love too that this sense of tending to yourself as a mom is something that won't only serve you when your child is young, but also will serve you as your child gets older. Because I know a lot of moms go through this phase of questioning who they are and their identity once their child leaves the home. And mm-hmm. so the more you can connect with yourself from the time the child is little, the better off you'll be in terms of setting yourself up for success when it is time for your child to transition into more autonomy, I would imagine, right? A thousand percent. It's kind of just this idea of less is more, right? Like yeah. if you're constantly, like you described, if you're constantly running around trying to keep up with appearances, like really focus on what matters, right? And I know it's hard. I know it's hard in a world where we live on Instagram and people compare left and right. And that's how you're measuring your own job as an entrepreneur, as a mom, as whatever you're comparing to. But comparison is also a protector. It's also a trauma response. It's, it's just another way that you disconnect from your own truth, your own authenticity. And so, especially with motherhood, less is more like if you don't have the energy to throw a big first birthday party, I promise you, your child will not even remember. They won't care. (laughs) And if that's going to allow you to take the extra rest or time and energy that you need for yourself, that is the best birthday gift that you can give them, right? And I know that that may feel like selfish or whatever, but like literally no one, no one cares except for like these lies that your brain comes up with. Like, I'm going to look this way. I'm going to look like a bad mom. It's like, no, like you choosing what actually like you need to do for yourself is literally the best thing that you can do. So simplify less is more like, being a new mom is a big enough job. You don't need to add like a whole circus to it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And like you said, same thing goes for entrepreneurship or like any other phase of life that you're in. I think that phrase of less is more and mm-hmm. really committing to being grounded in yourself and what you actually need is yeah. the medicine that we all need, you know, um, rather than so much um, external energy. So I yeah. so appreciate you sharing that. And we could do a whole other episode on like boundaries and the term selfishness, right? Um, But I think that (laughs) people will really gain a lot of value from what you had to share today. So I'm so grateful that you did. I want to give you a chance to share more about where people can get in touch with you, the work that you share with folks and how they can engage in that work. And then we can go through a few rapid fire questions I've been sharing with all of our guests. But for now, you have the mic. Um, Share where people can get in touch. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. So the main place I'm on is in Instagram. So I'm, again, following the motto, less is more. I don't try and do like a million different platforms. I'm just 
really on Instagram for right now. So um, my handle is at Rachel underscore Kelly underscore coaching. So you can find me there. And then kind of tying into this whole conversation, I am launching my first course and it's called the Secure Entrepreneur. So this course is for entrepreneurs like myself who have struggled with anxious attachment and really teaching you how to kind of not only look out for when these symptoms of anxious attachment come up, but how you can relate differently. So we have a whole module on boundaries, on, you know, the divine feminine and masculine energetics of leaning back action, kind of balancing those two, since most of us lean either one side or the other. And if you're anxiously attached, it's more on the side of doing rather than feeling safe to kind of lean back. Um, And yeah, I teach you all about the inner child, the nervous system, kind of doing a deeper dive into attachment theory and just the specific ways that this will show up in your business. Because even if you're not aware of it, it is a thousand percent there. So um, the wait list is open. So you can head to the link in my bio to sign up for the wait list to get early bird pricing. You also get free access to my meditation series. And aside from that, um, let's see, I also have one spot open in my signature program insight. So this program is for a full deep dive nervous system transformation. So this is the same exact work that I've done on myself with my mentor to rewire my nervous system out of um, survival and scarcity and into just that safety, that connection, that, um, that ventral state in the nervous system. So if you are looking for like really a higher level of one-on-one support, this would be the container for you. And then if you're looking more for group support, I have a group specifically for anxiously attached women called come home to yourself. And it is, yeah, just a really special container where we, dive into all of the things anxious attachment. So those are kind of the main things I have to offer right now. And I love just connecting on Instagram. So my DMs are always open. Feel free to reach out, ask any questions, just say hello. I'm there. (laughs) Amazing. And we'll include the links to all the things um, in the show notes. But I also want to just take a moment to say how excited I am about your course for entrepreneurs because I think that for entrepreneurs there's so much emphasis on like signing up for all the courses for like sales and marketing and like all the tactics you know just like again chasing 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 and what I love about your course is that by going through that course you'll actually be able to as an entrepreneur settle into true fulfillment you know it's like not about achieving more it's about coming home to yourself and that's what's going to make you feel the most satisfied and uh most fulfilled within your business. So I'm so excited that you're doing that and excited to share that with all of our entrepreneurs. Um, But let me see, we're going to do our rapid fire question. So this Mm -hmm. is just a series of questions where you can take a second or two to think about it and then respond with the first thing that comes to mind. It starts with some like short, quick, easy questions and goes into some more expansive questions at the end. So I'm just going to roll (laughs) right on into it. Um, The first one is sunrise or sunset. Oh, um, sunset. Awesome. Uh, sweet or salty? Oh, um, I just healed my sweet tooth, but we'll just go with sweet for now. Awesome. <laughs> Mountains or beach? Beach. What is one word you'd use to describe yourself? Dedicated. Hmm. 
Uh, what would you, sorry, did you say something? No, I think. Okay. I um, yeah. <laughs> well, what would you want your last meal to be? Ooh, um, a burrito from Mike's taco shop on Newport <laughs> Ave in Ocean Beach, California. <laughs> awesome. Um, if tomorrow were your last day, how would you want to spend it or who would you want to spend it with? I would want to spend it probably at the beach, partly at the beach, partly at home with my fur babies, just in my apartment. Um, I would want like some time with my closest people at the beach and then some time alone at home with the fur babies. No. And then last question is, if you could leave the world with one last piece of advice, what would it be? Do the inner healing work that you need to do to actually be able to feel how you want to feel in this life and be able to make all your dreams come true. There is nothing that is more worthy as someone who has done it, invested time, money, and energy into it. I feel like I'm a completely different version of myself and I want everyone to just feel free, feel free to be themselves. Awesome. That's a great place to end. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for being here. I'm so excited for everyone to be able to connect with you. Like Rachel said, reach out to her via DMs. We'll link all of her amazing offerings in the show notes. But thank you for being here. I'm so glad we got to talk. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course.